0: foster care nation Nation. listen up up. okay yeah listen because i need to say i'm sorry i apologize because every episode at the end of it i say things like be sure to come back next week we have new episodes every tuesday and for the last five or six tuesdays we have not shown up with an extra episode um part of that i also say is if you'd like to share your stories to guests you can reach us at jason at fostercarenation.com and right now if you would like to tell your story, if you would like to be a guest, it would be a great time because I don't have a big backlog of people wanting to be on the podcast, of people with stories to tell, so it would be a great opportunity to be able to jump in and tell your story. Just shoot me an email at jason at fostercarenation.com. I also have to say things like, don't forget about our Patreon account over at patreon.com slash fostercarenation, or our Buy Me A Coffee account over at me coffee slash care. Um, the truth is right now we have a, one kid, we're working through an IEP program, just getting that started. We're also working with another kid on a 504 program and it's been all a ridiculous amount of work guys, not to complain, just to say we've been busy. We also have two little ones. One of them is medically fragile and there's a lot of stuff going on with that. And so it's just part of our life is that those guys are the most important things. And unfortunately you guys are going to suffer a little bit in the number and the the regularity of episodes when i have too many things to do and i have time to do the work right now amanda and i have been funding this whole project for the last 3 years and it's a it's a cost to us every month but we we can handle it if i'm going to continue to be completely consistent i'm probably going to need to find a way to find somebody who can take care of the actual editing work for me because i just have not had the time to get it all done so if you would like to support us financially over at patreon.com slash fostercarenation or at buymeacoffee.com slash care. Both of those options, I believe, have an opportunity for a one-time donation or you can become a contributing member. That would be amazing, you know, if I could figure out a way to find somebody who can actually help us with the workload and I could afford to do it. Either way, we're going to keep doing what we're doing as much as we can do it. So we're going to jump into this week's episode. I hope you guys enjoyed this conversation I had with Zachary. And we'll talk to you soon. You can forget a lot of things, Foster Care Nation, but never forget this. You're listening to Unparalleled Studios. I see no. Foster, Foster Care Nation, Nation. Listen, up. listen up. This is Foster Care in Unparalleled Trinity. Strength for the powerless. Courage for the fearful. Hope and healing for wounded hearts. Hello and welcome back to Foster Care, an unparalleled journey with Jason Palmer, because there is no Amanda. <coughs> Sorry, guys, um, like normal. Um she is busy off doing mom things and without mom doing mom things dad can't do dad things so it's just me and and I brought a guy here again today like I usually do because I like interesting people and so I found an author uh Mr. Zachary Daniel he has a book out there called Manifest Destiny by the time this hits the hits the uh, podcast feed you all should be able to go to Amazon and find his book um and uh, or Barnes and Noble, if you don't like Amazon or or wherever it is in the world that you get your books, go look there and you'll find it. Me personally, I, me and the Amazon driver have a very personal relationship at this point. Like all the Amazon drivers seem to know my house because they show up here a lot. And um, we're going to have to go on an Amazon budget one of these days, but until then, until then (laughs) they're just going to get to know me and I'll I'll look there for the book. Zachary, how are you doing today, man?
1: I'm doing great. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Jason, for having me. And uh, thank you for the intro. Um, that's the consequence of having a lot of kids. It's <laughs> you get to know the Amazon driver. Well,
0: <laughs> <laughs> you are not wrong. You are not wrong. It's either Amazon or whoever delivers sheen clothing. I don't, I don't know who that is, <laughs> but it shows up in my house quite a bit because when you have a baby girl show up, um, apparently you need all the cute baby clothes that they make mm-hmm. at sheen. So uh, all the bows from Amazon, I have them. So if you need more, you, know, <laughs> you decide if you have a little girl in the near future, you say, man, I need yes. some bows. I, I'm your hookup. I have you can, all you can send over a moving truck of them. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and I'll still have plenty left for my little girls too. Uh, that's funny. All
1: right. I could duly noted. Um, save me some money.
0: <laughs> there you go. There you go. All right, man. Well, you know, we talk about foster care and adoption here on, on this show, and that's what we talk a lot about. So obviously your world has something to do with that how did you get involved in this stuff
1: so uh i got involved involuntarily <laughs> i am i am adopted uh, adopted you know basically at birth of course there's that waiting period but um as, you know as long as i've ever been conscious i've realized i've been adopted and uh, it's it's brought me into this world and it's a really amazing space um with a lot of people that care about human lives um it really takes something to you know take in a kid is adopted or foster parent system um or if you're in the situation that uh you don't think you can properly care for a child to give give one up for adoption it's really a, a selfless a selfless system but um yeah i i always knew i was adopted so i'm i'm mixed race and uh my adoptive parents my parents are white so there was no there was no uh glossing it over um i i realized i was adopted as soon as as soon as I could think. Um, And that's presented some interesting dynamics growing up um, between, you know, us as a family. Um, But it's for I think it's been for the best. Uh, I think it's really shaped who I am, and and given me a lot of perspective about, uh, about different dynamics that uh, I'm I'm happy to share. and, And it's really been a blessing.
0: You know, man, our family is about as mixed as you can get uh, <laughs> I, we have um we have we we adopted two uh a sibling group of two, a brother and a sister some years back that are mixed and she is a little bit lighter than I am, and her brother is just a little bit darker than I am, and my, our two older boys are i mean. I say painfully white just because they're the ones who don't go out on a summer day without some sunscreen, unless they just, they're just going to put up with the sunburn cause they're going to have it, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and that's kind of the way our family looks, you know, we've got our, our little guy, uh, turtle turtle is mixed and he's on the darker side of it. and And he has the more coarse hair. And I mean, his hair is all braided right now. And oh my gosh, if you could see this kid's hair, like when he gets out of the pool, if his hair is down, it's halfway down his butt at this point he yeah. has ridiculously long hair and he absolutely loves it so we you know we braid it up to take care of it and all that sort of stuff but that has been a journey for us to to live and understand because i grew up here in the midwest and in the midwest I, i'm just going to say we're maybe not known for being as um inclusive across the entirety of the midwest as as some other parts of the country is that a nice way of saying it uh that's a nice way you know i grew up in the midwest so
1: (laughs) uh i would say that's that's a nice way of saying it but uh but there is a lot of uh, i I don't know how to describe it but the people in the midwest are very homey and welcoming i i've experienced um so fair but midwest people are good and they will always be my favorite
0: people so (laughs) what part of the midwest are you in
1: uh wisconsin wisconsin yeah
0: yeah. <laughs> you're up there you're in South Canada.
1: Yeah, basically. <laughs> beer 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 cheese and packers. That's that's all I knew.
0: Yeah, yeah, that that sounds about right. Yeah, no, I mean and we've had some wonderful um experiences with lots of people, but we've also found like there's a small sundown town in, in the state of Missouri that there's probably more than one, but but we found ourselves in one where it was made painfully obvious when uh, we were there and so yeah, you'll meet all all different um all different types of people out here. And so we've had our fair share of, of run-ins with people who who saw this stuff as, as weird, different, bad, scary, whatever Mm -hmm. it is that they see. And and it's created a few issues in public, but for the most part, for the most part, you know, I'm not a small guy. I'm a little over six foot, I'm 245 pounds. And I have a wonderful hate me face that when somebody (laughs) gets ignorant in public, I, I have the ability to, to be loud and, and unapproachable if I need to be. Yeah.
1: Yeah. You got that lumberjack beard too. I, <laughs> I see you lumbering around. I, yeah. I could, I could see you being an intimidating figure. Up
0: there. But we've had, we've had our fair share of, of experiences in life where we've had to deal with that. And, and I want to, I want to get into that with you later, but when you first came, you know, when you were first born, obviously there was some stuff going on in your biological mother's life that, that made it difficult for her to, to raise a kid. So talk about that a little bit, you know, what, what brought you in, into the adoption world?
1: Yeah. Um, so, you know, I, I don't know every detail of, you know, the circumstance that was going on during that time, but obviously my mom, my biological mom was very young, 12, 13, and my biological dad was much older. So, you know, uh, I think he was 20 or 21. Um, and he also had some, uh, you know, some learning disabilities, um, to my knowledge, but they were unstable household, um, obviously very young. No source of income, no job, uh, difficult parental situation, and a father that was absent immediately. so um, you know, from her perspective and talking with her nowadays, um, it was kind of either you know, abortion or or adoption. Um, and she didn't believe in abortion, and uh, so adoption, which is a very difficult choice as a mother I I imagine because you you're still carrying the kid that you're still spending nine months and he's your flesh and blood and then to to give him up to another family and never possibly never see him again uh that's a really hard thing to do um I I thank her you know that I that she followed through with that and I think she's provided me wonderful life and opportunity by making that decision um but yeah it was uh she had a very harrowing upbringing and to where she is today is really impressive. She's always maintained and been a good person. um, And it is really impressive where, where she's come from,
0: you know, man. All right. I'm a terrible judge of certain things in life. So I'm going to say you look younger to me, but I I really don't know. How old are you? I'm 27. So 27, so you would have been born, oh, dear God, you would have been born about the time that I, I was oh, 95. Yeah. When I graduated high school, I'm getting old, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I, I was, I was alive and well in 1995 um, and, and I had the full experience of the Midwest in 1995. And so I, how did that, how was that for you, especially growing up, like early years and whatnot, you said you had, you know, upper middle-class white family. Yeah. And, you know, uh, I, I think we're, as a family right now, we're probably squarely somewhere in the middle class and with taxes and inflation, I'm certain we're probably being pushed down that rung, yeah. uh, down the ladder a little bit, but <laughs> yeah, don't get me started about inflation. But. <laughs> <laughs> so, but but yeah, I lived, I lived in that life and, and that time there was, there was not a whole lot of people out there who were, who were comfortable going out and adopting and living a life with a mixed raced family.
1: Yeah, no, definitely. Definitely. And uh, I have a younger brother who's also mixed race, not biologically um, related to me, but it, it, I had a sense that my parents were very hyper aware of how I might be treated um, based on my race. And uh, I, I would say that most evidently was seen in sports I always wanted to make sure I had a fair opportunity and that I was being treated right and not uh, excluded, you know, based on certain things um, that, you know, coaches or uh, authority figures weren't saying anything disparaging. Um, And, uh, you know, in hindsight, you know, as I, as I got older, I was able to look back and be like, you know what, in sports, I think it kind of benefited me, you know, if we're trying out for sport and there's one black kid and uh, 20, you know, 20, 25 white kids, anytime I do something I automatically, you know, it's very easy to recognize me and attribute that to me. So, um, but besides that, they, they were very hyper aware of that. And um, I, you know, uh, growing up, I would say, you know, middle school and high school is really where that dynamic of, uh, you know, being a different race in and, and my environment really started to manifest itself. Um, as you know, middle school and high school kids can be kids can be cruel right <laughs> you, you you know it I, I know it it's never it's never it's always been that way it always will be that way um a lot of kids people you know say stuff that they don't really understand um they don't know why they're saying it maybe they don't think it's mean um but it definitely became evident during that time that you know race was going to be at least uh, some part of my daily existence um and and I I think um, I think it was a, at some points very difficult, um, especially since my parents being white, they didn't really they knew that there there was something going on and they knew, but they didn't really know all the times all the ways to talk about it or digest it because um, this was new to them. Um, they hadn't maybe firsthand experienced it, and uh, and I give my parents credit; they were incredibly supportive, incredibly loving through my entire upbringing. So. Um, but it was definitely it was something that I felt like I had to deal with internally. Um, and uh it's it shaped to in you know in a large part who I am. I would say, um, you know, if I had to pinpoint like say in high school or or middle school, it, it was evident every day that I was I was black <laughs> and that was often often associated as a bad thing. Um, in the respects that, you know, I, I would get sometimes I'll say this, uh, I would say my most one of the biggest, you know, biggest compliments that I would get or most common, I should say, was that, like, you're the whitest black guy that I've ever met. Um, this is during middle school, and high school. And it, you kind of unpack that. It's like, well, what, what does that mean? Um, the whitest black guy. You've, is, is it because I can sound articulate and, you know, am somewhat intelligent? Is that the definition of, you know, being white? Um, or is that my ceiling as far as like, is that the best thing that I can achieve is being white and not being kind or being smart or being athletic or anything like that. Um, But that, that's largely attributed to middle school, high school people know what they're saying. You know Um, you know, I'd never, you know, obviously sometimes I took things personally, but you kind of had to decipher uh, what was kind of malicious and what was ignorance. And since you can't live your life in, you know, this kind of anger or fear, you know, you got to learn to adapt and embrace it, and and, um, and I, I think that was a, a trying time uh, for years to kind of find that right balance between, um, you know, just being comfortable in my own skin, embracing some parts, and and just standing up for myself in other areas, uh, and and it was interesting because I saw my brother. I mean, he would experience the same thing, and we kind of dealt with it in different ways, um, and so yeah, that was a very interesting dynamic growing up and I'm not quite sure what my parents experienced as far as, you know, when they met other parents or realized that, Oh, you adopted like two black boys. Um, I, I wouldn't be able to, I don't know exactly what they experienced there, but uh, I can only speak to my end, but they never let it deter them. You know, they loved us just like we were their own children and uh, always defended, always defended us. And um, yeah, it was, Is interesting,
0: (laughs) say the least. It it sounds like you you at least had a a decent experience through the lens of of your parents, because I'll tell you, as a parent who has a family that does not match, I mean, none of our kids really match. We have different shades of all kinds of stuff going on in our house, and um, you know, even people that I know that I know are good people that were raised in a generation when I was raised and heard lots of stupid stuff and and have. They're on their own personal journey walking through that. I, I had um, a friend of mine once who, when we had first, uh, first begun this foster and adoptive journey and, and he saw, saw the kids the first time. And he, he says to me the next day, he goes kind of in a, in a low voice, because if you're going to say something of questionable character, you have to say it in a lower voice for some reason. (laughs) And and he says, is, is he mixed or no? he, He asked, he said, is, is he half black? Was the question? I looked at him, just real serious, I'm like, "No, no, he's half white." <laughs> <laughs> this poor guy didn't know how to how to respond to that. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's that's a great response. I might have <laughs> I
1: might have to take that one.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, my, my my personal thought is, is there's really not that many races. Like it's it's the human race. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, there's the lizard people. If you drop off into the conspiracy theory stuff, maybe. But uh, other than that, pretty certain we're all human. And um, other than that, I don't know that any of the rest of it matters. What really matters is what's on the inside. Like, are you a decent human? Because I don't know about you, Mm -hmm. but I've met horrible humans that come in all different categories, whether it's white, black, Latino, Asian, you name it. There's awesome ones. And there are some pretty horrible ones as well. Yes
1: yes absolutely and uh, yeah and I, I think part of the part of the issue with some of the discourse today is you know if someone is a horrible person or a good person you know they're they're just labeled by their identities um, instead of you know breaking down are they just a good person or maybe you say they're maybe you think they're a bad person because of certain actions and someone will defend them and you know say that you're being you know maybe racist or mis- you know whatever label that they say you're attacking their identity when you're actually commenting on their personality or persona.
0: Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I'm going to beat up on the millennials just a little bit. here.
1: <laughs> go ahead. Go ahead. I won't, I won't be offended.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, I, I hate to, to join that jump on that bag bandwagon too much. Cause I met some great folks of that generation. I met some horrible ones, but in this newest generation or whatever, the, I don't know what they're calling the newest generation. Now I think it's Gen Z. Gen means? Z. Gen Z. That sounds familiar. Yeah. So, so millennials, I'm going to, I'm going to pick on them just a little bit today, just because, you know, my, my daughter, she is 15 years old. So probably that Gen Z category more so than millennials, but some of the stuff that I see out here in public, um, really looks like it, you know, it is a, a, uh, a population of people who are primarily white, who are looking back across history and realizing some horrible things happened in the past and kind of overcompensating for that and almost creating like the ceiling of how high you can go because mm. because of who you are and there's it's still being tied to that race factor and it mm-hmm. makes me a little bit insane.
1: Yes, I I completely agree. It's uh, the, the that was the right word, they're overcompensating. It's like you can look back on history and reflect but you don't need to it doesn't need to be the end all be all today right? It doesn't need to be the first value measure or judgment that you make on a person just I, I heard this uh, you know I heard this uh, analogy from someone who uh, obviously probably is wealthy, but they, you know, if you're a very wealthy person and you walk into a room and there's black guys or Asian guys or, or whatever race of people, you, you don't care. They're businessmen, right? You, you, they, they achieved a certain level of acumen and respect and prestige based on their you know, monetary accomplishments, but, um, it's weird that at a certain level that that exists, but not, uh, it doesn't trickle down. Um, it seems like us at the, at the regular level uh, still engage with this discourse and, and beliefs that are kind of retrograde, uh,
0: yeah, the only place I really believe open overcompensation is something really welcomed is would be if my boss would decide to overcompensate me. I would not <laughs> complain a bit. Other than that, like I don't know, all of us have have our story. All of us have our hard part in life that we've had to overcome. And you know, I when I when I look to people to to talk on this and or, or to talk on on this podcast, I've never once to ask about their you know. Ahead of time. Well, what race are you, or what color? None of that matters. As long as you're a human, who's a decent human being who has a story to tell. Well, then we're going to connect with who we connect with. Yep. And that yep. story will resonate with people who need to hear it. But otherwise, the the whole thing that we really need, I feel personally, and as a father of many kids, um, I think we need to be teaching our children is that man. We need to teach these lessons to kids like. Who's a good human and who's not? And I don't care what, what they look like. That doesn't matter because there are good people. There's bad people. Let's mm-hmm. just focus on that for, for a hot minute, because once we can figure that out, I don't think that we need to divide ourselves into any more subcategories there.
1: No, uh, yeah, I, I agree. And it, it is a tough thing because, um, you know, the human mind likes to categorize and, and make judgments and put things in certain bins um, as, a, as a means of processing information. So um yeah it it is hard but it is important to imprint it when they're young, you know, when they're children because it's tough to it's tough to unlearn things and it it's gonna affect all uh, it's gonna have major effects on the trajectory of who they are and, and what
0: they do. Yes. And so you know I'll also say that I have a couple of my kids who are squarely in the millennial generation. And we live in a in a rural setting in in Missouri here. And when my older boy was in high school, one of the things I noticed was that his friend group was entirely diverse, and they didn't seem to realize that they didn't all look the same, and they didn't really seem to care. And that, that gives me some level of hope. And uh, so, without trying to, to demonize the powers that be and say yeah. they're just trying to keep that that discord amongst us, um, I, I don't know why the the need to, to push on that is is so ingrained. In, in the people who are in charge of our culture, but I see that happen and I'm so happy to see kids who just have friends.
1: Yeah. Friends. And, and yeah, they generally don't care, you know what they look like or, or some of the, the you know physical attributes or race to just who they are as a person. And I can attest to that as far as the experiences of your kids. Uh, I had great friends through middle and high school. You know, I talked about obviously that dynamic, but I had a great, I had a great experience through all those years overall. And I had great friends that I still keep in contact with and meet today. So um, yeah, no, it, I, I think the future is bright, but there's, there's always improvement.
0: Well, I, I think the future is Brown and I kind of appreciate that <laughs> honestly, because you know, my, my daughter, she's, she's just a shade lighter than I am. And, and she has all the benefits that, that a child could have when it comes to, to the different hair types. Her hair can be braided down. It can be brushed out. She can do whatever she wants. She doesn't really fight against having to worry too much about burning in in the uh, summer sun out here. And we get plenty Mm -hmm. of that heat and the humidity here. And like she just has the best of both worlds. And I kind of (laughs) believe that our culture will be headed that way along this path somewhere. We'll have to find another way to divide up and hate each other. But yeah, (laughs) we'll (laughs) always find a way. Yes, we will. Maybe we'll find we'll find a little a little slice of happiness and at least contentment amongst community as as we move through that part in uh, in culture. Um, I did want to ask, so you mentioned that that you were able to meet your birth mom after yes. you turned eighteen. So yeah. how did you do? I I remember the nineties, like I mentioned, and we did not talk about open adoption back then. We had closed adoptions; all doors were closed. And even today, some some adoptions are closed. We we have some situations where it's not terribly safe um when you have especially when you have parents who are who are in active addiction and there's dangerous stuff around that and so mm-hmm. sometimes it's appropriate to close that door because it's not healthy and safe for the kids for sure. Yeah. But there's also situations like you mentioned, you know, your mom was very, very young. And it wasn't that she was unsafe. It's that she she wasn't old enough to be capable of, of taking care of you when you were when you were born. And so there's no reason to necessarily have to close that door. How did you get that door back open, and what does that look like?
1: Yeah, it was, uh, you know, it it was is interesting because I had the closed adoption, and my brother, who's just two years younger, had open adoption. So he always had contact with his his biological mom and was able to contact her, meet her. Um, I remember a couple occasions meeting her, you know, like a Chuck E. Cheese or something. But uh, yeah, being a closed adoption, you know, it wasn't necessarily safety, but I think there was this kind of paranoia. Um, and, and maybe in some cases it's probably rightfully so, but definitely not the majority uh, where, you know, the birth mom might, when they're at a more stable place, you know, try to infringe upon, you know, it's, it's complicated, but uh, basically I had a closed adoption and um, when it turned 18, the records aren't sealed. Um, I had a curiosity of what my biological mom was like. And if I had other half, siblings out there um cuz obviously you ha- you think in your head what they're like a little bit based on your on you both f- well, physically and personality wise um i kind of wanted to just just meet her uh so i reached out the adoption agency the adoption agency had gone under the uh, state like had like lost my records like they had like no uh information about you know my birth mom or how i could contact her or anything so I was kind of stuck at square one and I was at one point for a very brief time, I was like, am I like a black market baby? Am I like, like, I, there's no records of my adoption. You know, my parents like, is this is like an underhanded exchange, but um, you know, I, that was just a really brief thought. I, my parents would, that would never be a part of uh, who they are. Um, but I was kind of racking my brain about how I could, all I had from her were a few handwritten letters, uh, quick bio about the family as far as medical history Um, and I had a picture of me in the hospital when I was first born and it had the wristband of the original birth name so I I got half of my last name from that picture and was able to figure out what the the full last name was I knew her first name and I knew her approximate age and probably area so I kind of did all the rounds as far as you know Google searching, Facebook, yellow pages, um, white pages, and anything that I could get my hands on as far as trying to find people I was, I was doing. Um, it was kind of all coming up empty. All coming up empty is just kind of nothing. Um, and I kind of, I did this kind of process in secret, I, I would say from my, my parents, um, my adoptive parents. Um, I wasn't openly transparent, like, hey, I'm really trying to find my birth mom. Um, this was kind of just like my uh, my mission um, solo, which maybe is you know a little bit selfish in retrospect. Um, they could have been privy to you know what I was trying to do. I wasn't trying to hide it from them on purpose. I just felt like it was my my thing. Um, but eventually, after a couple months, I was searching Facebook, and a profile had been created with the correct name, no profile picture, no anything, no information, nothing. And so I just sent them a dm and said hey do you remember you know however long it was like 18 years ago a couple months ago and uh and yeah it was her so, um yeah just let's stroke a luck that she created a facebook profile no no one, anything so uh reached out to her we talked on the phone um and then i went to meet her a couple of weeks after that um uh, and it was it was a little bit surreal. You know, uh, you're wondering, you know, am I going to feel like a connection to my biological mom? I, I haven't had any contact with her for 18 years. Am I going to act like her? Am I going to talk like her? You know, what is this relationship going to be like? What's her life been since I left? You know, do I have half brothers and half sisters? I don't know. Um, so when I met her in person, uh, it, it was obviously a lot of... Um, different emotions kind of and thoughts going through at that time um joy uh curiosity um it it was really it was really good experience and uh i was really happy that uh she's a good person and um a lot like me as far as like you know, some personality, we definitely share the same cheeks. Like I got some chubby, some little chubby cheek, chipmunk cheeks, <laughs> definitely, uh, definitely the same cheeks and uh, a little bit of the same humor. Um, so it was interesting that very first time that I met uh, my birth mom and her half, ha- my half brother and half sister were also with her. Uh, you know, we were just catching up and talking and some of the humor that they had as a family, was, it was, it was like, i never left almost. It was like, almost innate to my existence <laughs> that I like resonated with some of the humor and like, it was like something I would say. Um, it, it was just a weird, that uh, weird trade-off between nature versus nurture. You know, what parts of us are shaped by our experiences and upbringing versus what is innately uh, in us from a personality perspective. And so that first meeting, there were definitely some, some things that was just innate, like, it was, it was weird. It was weird. I, I don't want to say like some type of like deja vu or voodoo, but, <laughs> um, it was a wonderful experience And I We've started, you know, we formed a relationship after that. That's, that's been very good and, and healthy. Uh, I'm not gonna say it's, it's been perfect because, you know, reconnecting with, you know, your birth mom and she reconnecting with you, obviously there's a lot of, um, emotion and time to kind of bridge, you know, bridge there. Um, you know, I will say one thing, she, she, uh, really thought that I, I had some resentment towards her, um, some deep resentment towards her for giving her, you know, giving me up for adoption, basically, uh, a kind of like she look, or my opinion of that she abandoned me. Right. Um, and so she thought I had some resentment from that and I, I had not zero, you know, um, I thought what she did was very selfless. And I think she gave me, you know, different opportunities um, by doing that. Uh, so, you know, that was something to sort through. But and meeting my half brother, half sister was also really, uh, really nice and and interesting. There, they're both they're both awesome people. Um, but it was it was something. It was uh,
0: yeah, it it taught me a lot. So, yeah, that DNA thing is it's wild how much how much stuff is in that in that little bitty piece of code that we can't even see and how much of who we are comes out of that
1: yeah yeah it's it's something I, I, I'm not sure where I stand as far as nature versus I'm definitely more nurture uh, you know I think that has a larger impact but there you're right there's some sliver of something that's just innate in, in people DNA. Yeah,
0: I'm not con- convinced that it's actually nature versus nurture I think it's just nature and nurture I think it's 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 a big con you know, conglomeration of both that gets thrown together. And, you know, talking about half siblings now, if I just take the two littlest ones in my house right now, I think between the two of them, I think there are 20 half siblings that they have. Wow. wow, Yeah. And I don't know all the details on their bio family. It's kind of going off of some secondhand information that we've gathered, but I think each one of them has nine or 10 half siblings at least and it, it just blows your mind that that these kids would never get a chance to know each other in the real world unless God help us all. And we only know how often this, we, we couldn't possibly know how often this happens, but how many, how many especially in today's, again, you stinking millennials and, um, <laughs> and, and this, this hookup culture world we're in, right? How mm. many people who have unknowingly, just because their, their biological parents live in the same region. Have run across a half sibling that they did not know they were related to. Probably a lot more than you think.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's
0: fair. it's kind of a terrifying thought, which is part of the reason why why I'm so happy to to see that we have come into this world where, you know, even if open adoption isn't a thing, we have there are lots of horrible things to say about social media and its effects on the world, but the ability to reach out and, and connect with people is there.
1: Yeah, that's it's a a very powerful tool, and it's put a lot of people, yeah, a lot of people together that could have never done so otherwise. You know, so it is for all its downfalls there is some significant benefit.
0: Yeah, there are some redeeming quality, qualities there. My uh, my little guy turtle actually has a half sister who we've connected to a little bit through through some social media and trying to trying to connect with her, and so that he would love to be able to meet his half sister. Um, he is what's he nine years old now, and she is in her early twenties. I don't know. She has a okay. she has a, a son of her own right now, and so it blows his mind that he's an uncle at <laughs> ten years old. He probably <laughs> thinks it's so cool.
1: Yeah,
0: yeah. He's he's trying to figure out what it all means. I think, but it through social media we're able to to make some of those connections and. And connect where, where it's healthy and appropriate and safe and all that good stuff. But it's, it's amazing that these kids can have this opportunity to begin to rebuild some of that family structure because, and I don't know if maybe you can, you can um, explain this to me. I imagine that even some of the best geneticists and psychologists can't explain it yet, but that pull towards biological family seems so strong, especially in kids who know that they're adopted and know that the people they've grown up with are not their biological family that pull to back to the, back to the beginning seems so strong.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I, think, I think it is um, in some respects, I think my, I think being the closed adoption and having no contact till I was 18. Um, if I, if I had an open adoption, I think it would have been a lot different. You know, having the closed adoption, I haven't felt that strong pull back to my biological family is like my source of um, I, I I guess my, that pull, um, I've really felt that my adoptive family is, you know, is it, um, as far as, you know, where my home base is and where I identify as a, as an individual and person and family. Um, I think the process would have been different if it was an open adoption and I had, you know, continuous contact, um, or meeting, uh, with my biological mom. But, uh, yeah, it's, it, it definitely is a pull. And I think it, I think it's healthy um, to have that connection to your biological family in some regards. Um, I think that, you know, not having that and, and then dealing and then also just having the, so the no connection, you know, to the biological family, and then also just being, you know, mixed race in a, in a sea of white. Um, I think I had to develop my own sense of self-identity and kind of like my own island early to kind of, um, you know, for self-preservation and just uh, digesting everything. And I think it would have been probably healthier and better if I had some uh, connection a little bit to you know, biological or, um, but um, yeah, I've never felt that pull, but I think that's because of my is of closed adoption versus um, open but yeah that's it's definitely it's, it's i think it's a little it's different for everyone in some regards
0: well as a parent of of adoptive kids who don't always necessarily look like me um let's be real honest most yeah. of the kids are either you know a little bit darker or a whole lot wider than me i mean realistically mm-hmm. that's that's what we have we have a whole lot of kids who don't look anything like me and a couple that kind of do and you know, but we we've adopted through the foster system um, more than once. And we have biological kids and then we have our oldest daughter was kind of a family placement, if you will. Um, She was raised in our house for the most part. And we, she called me dad and she called my wife, mom. So we have this huge collection of this just complete blended family. And so when you, when you look at your experience, what advice would you give to parents who are, who are considering, mm being adoptive parents who are considering kids of different race and ethnicities and, and all of that to, to look at, like when they start, what should they be paying attention to that, that could make the biggest difference long-term?
1: Yeah, that's, that's a really good question. And, uh, you know, I, I would start if, uh, if, you know, if you're adopting a kid of a different race is um, don't make their, you know, racial identity, any part of the center of of their at uh, the center of their existence and their upbringing. Um, so my parents were very aware, um, you know, of how other people treated me in regards to race, and, and some of that was I didn't see until looking back. But they never they never outlined it specifically as in like Zach, you're going to football practice, you know, make sure no one's being you know, racist or make sure no one's treating you different because your skin tone, it's no, you're Zach, you're going to football practice. You got to try your hardest. And they didn't make or, or schoolwork or anything. They did never made race the focus. So I would say, you know, obviously as a parent, you probably want to be aware um, of some of the challenges your kid might face, but just don't make it the focus, you know, make the focus of, you know, just being a good person or whatever they're trying to excel at or being well-rounded and trying to, uh, you know build your own identity and personality but don't that would be one thing and then it's also hard it, it, i would say it's hard as a parent to try to relate to what the kid's going through because you know as a parent you're probably much older and you, it's tough to remember what it was like when you were young and what and, and i would say don't overreact to um what other kids will say to your kid um, I think that's a big thing because I think if my parents knew what some people said to me, uh, they they would be very overreactive and, and kind of overprotective, uh, and I think that would hurt me later in life, to where I didn't have a stick of skin or I wasn't able to take criticism or or kind of differentiate between you know malicious or ignorant or playful, um, and I think that those two things are are kind of center and. know obviously just being a a loving caring parent that's there for it's there for your kid and you know they can trust you and you have their back but um yeah that's that's probably it's it's a very hard question uh but that's probably what i would say um and i got a question for you jason um obviously you guys have uh you know done amazing things with uh foster care and adoption and had a, a very large diverse family Um, that relationship between the um, adopted, you know, adopted kid and their biological parents, have you guys at times felt uh, like a sense of, I don't know if I'd call it jealousy, but anxiety or apprehension about their, about their relationship with their biological uh, family and, and being kind of being like, you know, I've spent, you know, my son, you know, our, our daughter, we spent all this time together embracing you, but they kind of, you kind of worry that they're going to be maybe ungrateful or never fully see you as, you know, their parent. Um, I'm kind of curious to hear um, that perspective from
0: someone who's, who's been in, who's been in it. Well, you know, many years ago, I worked for a company, a smaller company, and um, I was talking with the owner. And this is when we were, we were raising our oldest daughter who was, uh, we'll just, we'll just go with kind of a family placement, right? She was raised in my house. She called me dad. She called my wife. Yeah. She called my wife, mom, and, and she was just one of my kids. And then, then our oldest son actually came to, to our family because he came from a different father. Um, and. He kind of bounced and, and left the situation and never never was interested in coming back, and so our family was a uh, a little girl who was not biologically related to us. Um, then it was a uh, a boy who was technically speaking a stepson, and then we had one biological son together. And the guy that I worked for one day, he he asked me, he said, "You know, do you do you call that him your stepson or or how do you refer to her?" And I'm like, "You know, man, I kind of look at it this way." Once you've been like accepted into my clan, into my little group of people, you're part of my family. If somebody kicked the front door in and wanted to do harm to to you, and I would be willing to kill them to protect you, you're my family. This is just, you're my kid. And I don't have time to step into all the steps or the haves or the, all those different little monikers we put on them. Once you're my kid, you're just my kid. And um, we actually had to face the music on that one here a couple of years ago when, when my, um, oldest son's biological father, um, uh, he, uh, he reached out to, well, it was a stepson. I think it was who reached out to him and, um, Another stepson, it would have made them half brothers, I believe. And said, "Hey, I think I'm your half brother." And and that's we had never really told him that story. We never found the right moment, and we were just waiting for the perfect moment. And I don't know if you know this or not, but perfect moments rarely show up. <laughs> <No>.
1: <laughs> and no. pain, so we, we had had
0: that conversation ahead of time. And that the, the interesting thing was is through the way that that I've I've raised all of my kids, regardless of how they came to the family. Um, what it did for him was he, after he called us, you know, he called us on the phone, he was in the military time. He was out of state and he's like, Hey, I just had an interesting conversation. And after a bit of a, a, a tense conversation, cause my wife was standing there having this, this talk with him about what this all really is. And, and he said, you know, guys, this doesn't change anything, right? You're still my dad. You're still my mom you know, that, that's who you are. And that, that's just who, who we've chosen to live as. And I think that's the biggest thing for us as parents. We treat these kids as if they're our kids, because that's the way we truly see them. Uh-huh. And I mean, they may change their mind down the road. I, I have one particular son right now who is 17 years old, and I don't know how well you remember being 17, but I promise you were an idiot.
1: <laughs> I, I I still am at 27. So yeah, I can imagine <laughs> how dumb I was at 17.
0: I, I was an idiot at 17 too. And right now he's going through some hard stuff. And, and 10 years from now, when he's 27, I bet this, that, that relationship will look entirely different than it does today. And oh. you just have to have some faith that, that that will come back around. Human biology says that that frontal cortex does not develop until you get to about 26, 27 years old for boys and closer to 30 for, for a lot of boys. And man, I'm looking forward to the day when all that is is said and done. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I, I think it, it definitely will. And I, I think that's important for a, adoptive parents to hear as far as, you know, you're talking about the advice for adoptive parents is that has got to be a, sometimes a tough place as far as a little apprehension. Like, you know, I, this is my this is my son. I hope that they continue to see it that way um, throughout the entire course of their life and th- and they might go through different experiences or speed bumps, but yeah, when he's twenty seven he's going to look back and realize uh, you know all you guys did for him and all the all the love you showed him and you know, but it I'm sure that's a fear for some uh some foster parents or adoptive parents as I'm sure you've had on your podcast many times is will they see me as, you know, their parent, you know, their fam part of their family, truly. And, uh, you know, at least from adoptive kids standpoint, it's a hundred percent, you know, I a hundred percent see my, uh, adoptive parents as my family, uh, my, yeah. So, um, I think that was part of, I think they had those th- worries or apprehensions when I was reaching back out to my biological mom that, you know, not that I would, you know, say like, oh, that's my mom now, but just it, it there's a lot of emotion there. Um,
0: oh, absolutely. So, you so know, yeah.
1: And then I mean, it probably didn't make it, probably didn't make it better than I did it behind, you know, kind of behind the scenes. So it kind of sprung it on them. But, um, but yeah, there was never any, um, thought on my mind, you know, what, who my, who my family was.
0: Yeah. Here in about the next 10 minutes or so, uh, a car is going to pull in the driveway, and a little kid's going to come to our house because he—that's our godson—and he comes over and spends a few days a week. He spends the evening with us while his parents are both at work. And our godson happens to be, let's see, my oldest boy went to school with a couple a couple kids that were good friends of his. They ended up married and have a little little guy, and and we're treated just like family in that in that part of our our, our life too. You know, that's. Mm-hmm he's our little guy, you know, he's, he's my little homie, you know, me, me and Scotty, we're, we're best buds over here. And, um, and, and that's what we do. But, but even my son's friends um, th- through high school, we have a few of them still who, who refer to us as mom and dad, yeah. even though we, 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 they never lived in our house. You know, it's just, it's just who we've chosen to be. That's what we choose to be in our life to, to create that space to where people feel comfortable coming in here, especially yeah. younger folks feel comfortable coming in here and just existing in inside of our, our family framework. And, and we can't exclude anybody based on, on any reason, other than if you're not a safe person, if, if you're not going to come over here and be a, a healthy, safe person, you're, you're going to have some troubles to deal with namely me. But other than that, I, I don't really care. You know, you come on yeah. over, have a, have a good time. And sometimes like, you know, we're recording this the week before Thanksgiving, um, this Thanksgiving, I don't know how many of those particular kids will show up, but there will be a, a small portion of my son's high school graduating class who will be uh-huh. eating turkey at my dinner table yeah. at some point during the day, and that's just how we've always decided mm-hmm. to 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 raise our family and, and structure the way that we see the people that we care about.
1: Yeah, that's that's a really that's a really special and uh, and rare thing. Um, I know you talked about uh, at the beginning of your kind of kind of background as far as kind of came from religious background and, you know, you take it on as part of, you know, being a good person and practicing faith that you're bringing people into this environment. And, you know, not many people can say that they, they practice, you know, really practice what it is to be a, you know, a good person and try to provide a, a loving family. And at the end of the day, Thanksgiving or Christmas, you're sitting around with a bunch of people, that really care and that's uh, it's a rare thing so
0: yes i I, and I have a lot of i've had a lot of misgivings over the some of the religious traditions i was raised in but at the end of the day what i've grown to know is is if you are a christian if you're a believer the entirety of of the bible is a grand adoption story and um <laughs>
1: that's true yeah
0: yeah it's it's the life we live and i can't see a better way to live that out than what we do So uh, I appreciate you coming in here today, Zach, and giving us, you know, your life story here and and telling us what's, what that's all about and what that's been like growing up for you. Because so many of us as adoptive parents don't always have that perspective to lean into and others understand in the hard moments. Cause you know, I'm just going to assume if I talk with your parents, they're going to tell you gave them some trouble.
1: Yes. Oh, they, they would absolutely hands down say I gave them a lot of trouble, but (laughs) and yes um 100 but uh it all worked out and (laughs) and for the adoptive parents out there prospective adoptive parents you know the kids go through stages and um you know some stages might be uglier than others but at the end it's all gonna it's all gonna work out and um, it's gonna be beautiful so
0: (laughs) (laughs) don't be afraid you know it's, it's, it's the ability to look back from your perspective today that helps us to, to walk through those hard, hard moments when they're happening.
1: Yes, absolutely.
0: Well, thank so, you. you so know, I, I appreciate
1: you having me on. It was, it was a real honor and uh, I, I really, really appreciate
0: it. I appreciate your time here, man. I, uh, I look forward to, uh, to seeing where you go in this world. And, uh, what kind of amazing changes you can make in this life? Because one of the thing about things about lives like this is that like you've had a whole lot of stuff given to you in life as we all have. And now I just, I love to see where, where people take that, where they go.
1: Yeah. Hopefully I expect a lot of good down the road. So, you know,
0: yeah, I have been blessed and, and hope to pay it forward. All right. Well, thank you so much for your time today.
1: Yeah, thanks, Jason. And say, say hi to Amanda. <laughs> and, uh, and yeah, of course, if, if, uh, if any of your audience wants to hear what rumblings I have in my head on the fiction front then go check out my go check out my book, but um, completely different from the, you know, adoption. There's no adoption in that book, but it's a it's a mystery thriller. So entertaining nonetheless
0: manifest destiny we'll we'll make sure we try and uh grab a link and throw that into the show notes so that anybody who's listening to this can reach down to the show notes and go find it online i appreciate it so yeah, right, jason uh, say hi to the family and uh hope to keep in contact all right okay foster care nation thank you for listening to zachary's story now take his knowledge and wisdom to heart so you can create love and healing in your family and community be sure to come back next week. We have new episodes every Tuesday. If you'd like to share your story as a guest, you can reach us at jason at fostercarenation.com. You can connect with other like minded people on Facebook at facebookcom groupsslash fostercareuj. And don't forget, we have an account at Buy Me A Coffee. It's like a virtual tip jar where you can help us fund our mission for as little or as much as you'd like. It's at foster fostercare. The links to everything are in the show notes in your podcast player or at fostercarenation.com. And as always,
1: you are so super awesome. I thank you guys so cool, cool, cool. Yeah, yeah. Thank you for listening. Thanks, thanks, thanks.
0: Unparalleled <laughs> Studios.